0: to this installment of Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Greg Marshallton and today we are going to talk to Stacey Barker and Krista Cook who, along with Molly McCullough, wrote a book on the history of Canadian women in the two world wars of the 20th century. Stacey Barker is a historian in arts and military history at the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa, while Krista Cook is a Parks Canada curator from Wakefield, Quebec. She has two decades of experience in archives and museums. Their book was co-authored with Molly McCullough who works at the Canada Agriculture and Food Museum, part of Ingenium, Canada's Museums of Science and Innovation. Entitled Material Traces of War, Stories of Canadian Women in Conflict, 1914-1945. Their book was published by the University of Ottawa Press in 2021 as part of the wonderful Mercury series sponsored by the Canadian Museum of History. Stacy and Krista, thank you so much for joining us today. Nice to be here. Thank you. Now, I understand this book is uh, the product of your development of the an exhibition or a series of exhibitions called World War Women, and it focuses on the lives of individual women in the world wars as told through artifacts, documents, and images. How does the book expand on the stories you originally told in these exhibitions?
1: Um, well, books and exhibitions uh, explore history in very different ways, Uh, There's a lot of research went into the World War Women exhibitions going back many years. uh, Multiple researchers dug into the collections of both the War Museum and the Canadian Museum of History to unearth objects and stories about women who faced war. Now exhibitions are of course not books, Uh, they simply can't include everything. Text labels are pretty brief, interpretation is at a very high level. So we thought that a book would be a good way to expand on some of the stories told in the exhibition to include more detail. Um, And we also saw the book as an opportunity to explore stories we hadn't yet found when we put the exhibition together. And we were also able to explore material from other institutions. Um, So while we had a wider scope for the book, we still couldn't include everything, of course, but we felt it was important to do because so much research had gone into the exhibition and it resonated with visitors. It seemed a shame not to share more of it.
0: Now, in your introduction, you state that objects have the power to tell, or at least ask historians, things that the written word alone cannot. Can you describe how you selected and curated the original material presented in the exhibitions including the past research that was done by museum staff and how does this book in particular go further and uh, you've already stated some of the reasons you felt it useful to go further but why did you think it was perhaps necessary to go further.
1: Um, Well, let me just talk about how we curated the exhibition uh, first. It was an exercise in, in casting a very wide net initially and then progressively narrowing our criteria until we were left with a strong roster of objects and stories. We started by looking at all the material that we had in the collections relating to women in war and with those we made thematic groupings. And from those groupings we chose themes that reflected some major ways that women experienced the world wars, such as working, volunteering, military service, and worry and loss. So what we then did was looked for artifacts and materials that were connected to named women, for which we knew something of their wartime story. Um, what did the subject mean? How does it relate to the, to the war? And from those, we populated each theme. So we took a similar approach with the book, but it allowed us to explore their stories a bit more deeply, include more detail, as I mentioned, uh, than we could in the exhibition.
2: For me, as a museum person, it's all about the combination of stuff and story. The physical presence of objects can bring extra information and understanding in a way that sometimes documents just can't. Um, One of the objects, a giant wall hanging, Joanna St. Clair embroidered, when you see it, you just understand how deeply felt uh, the war support was for many Canadians. It took her over a decade to make. It contains over 700 paid signatures and is over 10 feet square. It's easy to imagine her laboring over it all those years, believing in her contribution to the war effort.
0: Now, your book has an evocative painting on the cover as well. Stunning plates and paintings and photographs throughout, of course. But can you each pick out your f- favorite image uh, and describe that image to us?
1: I've got many, many favorites. Um, and the painting that you mentioned is actually one of them. Uh, I pushed to have that on the cover for a reason. Um, it's it's by war artist Molly lamb uh, and it's called Canadian Women's Army Corps Parade Through the Town. Uh, painted in 1944, Boback was Canada's only official woman war artist in uniform. She was a CWAC herself. And it reflects Boback's time when she was stationed in Ottawa. Uh, and I think it speaks to the subject matter of the book quite well shows Sea Wax marching through downtown Ottawa while groups of civilians look on from a street, even from a window in one of the buildings. Uh, There's members of the Women's Royal Canadian Naval Service in the crowd, there's children. Um, And here we have what, for the time, was something socially striking, women in uniform, women taking part in the military in ways they hadn't before. Uh, Because of course, before 1941, being a nurse was the only way in for women. So this was new. Uh, it was wartime. It was necessary, and the women who took part were proud of their service, which is also something that you can tell from the way Bobak has depicted them. So that's got to be one of my
0: favorite
2: uh, favorite
1: parts of the book.
0: Well, thanks so much, Stacy, and you, Krista.
2: I really struggled to find a favorite. We included a candid photograph of Verda Sharp with four of her munitions factory co-workers. I felt a real connection to the story because I was lucky enough to get to know Verda Sharp's son over the course of the research and to get to know her life story through our conversations. Uh, Sharp, who was a black woman from Toronto, led a fascinating life. And when it comes to the Canadian home front, black women are too often overlooked. So Sharp's is a really important story.
0: Now, you make the point that the women whose lives you present were historical agents in their own right, not simply examples used to illustrate the historical timeline and events, as we've often seen in books and exhibitions in the past. So can you explain what you mean by historical agents in their own right?
2: We wanted to show that the women we talked about were actual people who faced historical circumstances out of their control in the world wars, but they nevertheless decided how they were going to navigate those circumstances within the framework that they were able to during their time period. We wanted to make sure that their agency was respected and they weren't simply portrayed as being helplessly born on the tides of history. Uh, One of the women whose stories I find particularly compelling was Alta Wilkinson, who took the death of her son, Arthur, who died in 1944 in Normandy and poured her grief into action. She coped with his death by helping to found the Remembrance Association of Silver Class Women of Canada, which was a group that provided mutual support to the wives and mothers of Canada's war dead and helped other women affected by war. She worked on multiple fronts, both privately and publicly, to make sure that her son's death and the deaths of other Canadian women's loved ones were not forgotten.
0: Stacy, in chapter one on women in military service, you start with the stories of Blanche Lavallée and Edith Anderson Montour. Can you tell us a little bit about each of these individuals?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, These two women who came from very different backgrounds, uh, they both chose nursing as a career path, and they both ended up serving in that capacity during the First World War. Uh, Blanche Lavallée was Francophone. She was from Montreal. She was a recent graduate nurse when the war broke out. Uh, she joined a French Canadian hospital unit that went overseas and she ended up in France. Edith Anderson Montcher also served as a nurse in France, uh, but she took a much different route to get there. She was indigenous uh, Mohawk from the Six Nations of the Grand River, but because she was indigenous, uh, she was barred from nursing schools in Canada. So she trained in the United States and that led her to enlist with American forces And that's how she got overseas, nursing the wounded in France, just like Blanche Lavallée, different hospitals. Um, And they they both left physical traces of their service behind. Uh, In the book, we use a beautiful portrait, a sketch portrait of Lavallée, uh, done by war artist Richard Matthews uh, to get into her story and the story of first World War nurses. Um, Edith Moncher brought back trench art that we show in the book. This is something she acquired overseas, beautiful decorated vases made from shell casings, uh, important souvenirs of her wartime experience, still family heirlooms. Um, They allow people today to understand more about her history, about the history of military nurses uh, and indigenous experiences in wartime. And her family graciously lent those pieces of trench art to us and her mesquite for the exhibition and also helped
0: us to tell her story in the book Chapter two covers uh, women volunteers in the two world wars. Uh, Who was Connie Laidlaw and uh, exactly uh, what was her story? Connie
1: was a young woman uh, from the Toronto area who, like a lot of women, volunteered her time for the war effort. But Connie did it in a very particular way. In fact, her story contains one of the more unusual objects that we include in the book, Charlotte. She's a ventriloquist figure. She was part of the act that Connie performed while entertaining troops on the home front. Uh, She was part of the Victory Entertainers Troop. Now, you must remember that During the war, over a million Canadians were in uniform over the course of the war, and they had a lot of downtime when they were training to help fill that. Dozens of amateur variety groups hopped up all around the country, entertained, put on shows, and this was one of them. Connie was one such such entertainer, and she was only a teenager, remember. Charlotte, uh, still around today in the collection of the Canadian War Museum, and we include her and Connie's wartime story in the book.
0: The subject of Chapter 3 is Women Workers at War, and there are some very interesting uh, histories that are presented here, including the history of Nora Gibson uh, and uh, Jock Elric, her husband. What is Nora's story?
2: This is one of my favorites, and one that I, again, was lucky enough to deal with the, the both Jock and Nora, who were alive at the beginning of our research process. So hearing their stories and um, having them share the lunchboxes with the museum was pretty, pretty special for me. Um, the, they used these two lunchboxes together when they both worked. Uh, they met at an aircraft manufacturing plant during the Second World War, and they each carried a lunchbox to work. And when you look at the lunchboxes really carefully, you can read their two mutual wartime histories into them. Um, they're really physical embodiments of these wartime experiences. Uh, Jock Elric carried a plain, black, no-nonsense lunch pail to work at the factory where he worked for decades. It was a career lunch pail. But Nora Gibson's lunchbox, on the other hand, is decorated with scratched-in graffiti and riveted embellishments, covered with autographs and addresses and short messages. Basically, it was the equivalent of a high school yearbook. She only used it for four years, from 41 to 45, She, like so many other Canadian women, was in the workforce for such a short time, and it was something that she didn't expect in her life trajectory. Um, And it was, to me, very revealing of of their two experiences, to see those two uh, lunchboxes side by side.
0: Chapter four is on the theme of worry and loss. Uh, Can you tell us the story of Machiko Ishii?
2: Most of the stories in this last chapter focus on the worry and loss suffered by Canadian women whose loved ones were overseas, like also Wilkinson, who I spoke about earlier. The experience of worry and loss was nearly universal. Everybody knew somebody who was in danger or who'd been killed or wounded. But the two world wars brought other losses and worries to Canadians as well. And that is the case for Michiko Ishii, who is a young girl from Vancouver. After Pearl Harbor, she saw her family uprooted and her community torn apart, one of 21,000 Japanese Canadians who were expelled from their homes. She left a really unique record of her experience. She was only a teenager, and her annotated photo album is full of playful captions and a teenager's eye for fun and humor, uh, which often glossed over the heartbreak and devastation that were lurking in the background of her photos. Her album is a treasure. It brings a voice to a story of prejudice and dispossession that's too easy to depersonalize.
0: So can you both tell us uh, what you think is the main contribution of your book to our understanding of Canada's 20th century history, but in particular, our uh, history of the two world wars?
1: You know, the world wars shaped Canada, and they still do to this day. Um, these were major transformative events in our collective history, um, and we often pay a lot of attention, and rightly so, to the battles that were fought. Uh, but because women were not in combat at this point, there's still a tendency to overlook what women were doing during these conflicts. And our goal with both the exhibitions and the book, was to shed some light on what this half of the population was up to. What were women doing? How did they experience the wars? How did they contribute? What choices did they make? And how did they challenge or reinforce prevailing notions of gender throughout these wars? Um, I think that in order to understand the full history of Canada and the wars, women absolutely have to be a part of that.
2: For me, it comes back to how we found the material culture to to build the exhibition. going through the collections, in particular at the War Museum, it was often interesting to look at the stories that were collected. Um, often the soldiers' stories were collected by the War Museum in past decades, and it was only sort of by turning the stories on their heads to find the story of the soldier's wife or the stories of the soldier's mother that we were able to dig into the um, The history of women in wartime that often in museum collections gets um, lost in the battlefield history.
0: Well I do think it's also a contribution in terms of the general historiography we've seen in Canada because rarely is the the role of women dealt with uh, in any uh, detailed way and certainly not in the way that you've dealt with it. And let me say that I'm also very impressed with the quality of historians like yourselves who work for our museum system and for our national uh, organizations like Parks Canada – and so I'm delighted that the Mercury series exists at all in order to be able to profile the very important work that, uh, that you're doing. So uh, what I'm really interested in is whether you are going to do another book uh, in the future based upon another exhibition, uh, given your experience with this book, or did this turn you off writing another history book ever again?
1: Uh, No, it didn't turn me off uh, writing another book. I'm still thinking about what project to pursue next, um, but
2: definitely would like to do another one.
0: That's great. And how about you, Krista?
2: I have been working on women and wartime since my undergrad, forever, (laughs) Um, and I'm having a bit of a hard time letting go of this topic, so I haven't been able to figure out what comes next, but I'm sure there's another book in there somewhere.
0: Well, we could always use another book on women and military as well. So I'm sure there's room for more work of that type if you want, Krista. But uh, both Stacy and Krista, I want to thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Our guests today were Stacey Barker and Krista Cook, together with Molly McCullough. They are the authors of Material Traces of War, Stories of Canadian Women in Conflict 1914-1945, published by the University of Ottawa Press. In 2021 as part of its Mercury series. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday. Please visit our website at www.champlainsociety.ca. The best way you can support this podcast is by becoming a subscribing member of the Champlain Society. And if you like what you've heard, let your friends know by forwarding this podcast through the social media of your choice. This podcast is made possible by the members of the Champlain Society who work hard to bring to life original documents in Canadian history. We want to thank the L.R. Wilson Institute of History at McMaster University, as well as a consortium of Canadian scholarly book publishers that includes the University of Toronto Press, UBC Press, McGill-Queens University Press, the University of Regina Press, and, notably today, the University of Ottawa Press. My name is Greg Marshaldon. This interview was recorded on March 8, 2022. It was produced by Jessica Schmidt.